we are in the middle of a series. Jen will finish this series off next week. This is week three on a series in the book of Esther. And we're going to try something at the start here by way of a recap, which could go terribly wrong. But we're going to take that risk anyway. I need some characters uh, that are going to come and help me, and I'm going to need volunteers, but it can't go on long, so if the volunteers don't arrive quickly, then they will be uh, uh, chosen by my good self. Like down here, if you want to respond straight away when I say this, you're quite welcome, anyone on the second round. I need some people to help me. So let's start off with this. I need a King Xerxes. Anybody want to volunteer? No, sit down. You're too, you're too young. I need you to be my Anthony, my King Xerxes. Come on. King Xerxes. I need a beautiful Queen Avashti. <laughs> no. <laughs> Who's going to be a beautiful Queen Vashti? Come on, Amanda. Yeah, there's Queen Vashti. I need a Mordecai who's a wise Jewish man. John Loker, hey, come on. I need now, this ain't good news, this bit. Come along, move along, move along. I need a evil Haman. <laughs> Doug Roper, you can be the evil Persian. And finally, it is pantomime season, remember. And finally, I need a beautiful Queen Esther. <laughs> who was, who was uh, Mordecai. Mordecai? You're Mordecai. Come on, who's... Come on, I need a volunteer, quick. Come on, be your husband's wife. Lois, come on. All right, now, just, you need to just move along a little and stand there, and, and all will become obvious as I go through. Let me just say a little bit of background. Because Israel suffered so much... And we know Israel have. They loved and love the story of Queen Esther. This is something that they really celebrate. Quite rightly so, because this is a story of hope and redemption. It's a great story. And Israel would celebrate the holiday of Purim, which is what they call this holiday when they celebrate Esther, with a passion and with lots of customs surrounding it. There are four verses that are verses of redemption, which I've put in your notes here. And when they read the passage, we can't read it for time's sake, but they'd get to that passage and they would shout and they'd read those verses of hope and redemption a lot louder. And Jews throughout the centuries of the festival of Purim would read the book of Esther and they would do parades and they would dress up. This is kind of the Mardi Gras of Jewish festivals. And they would use these things, which are noisemakers, rattles. The proper term is gragas. And they would celebrate with gragas. I'm going to ask someone to be a gragger player in a moment. I've been in Israel. I've never been in Israel when they had Purim. But I was there on a Friday for Shabbat, Sabbath. In the morning of Shabbat, on the Friday before Sabbath had started properly, I went to the Holocaust Museum, and then in the evening I went to the Western Wall for the worship that goes on there. And I'll tell you this, I have never seen such passionate, engaged worship ever in any other context as I saw on the Friday night there. 
They were wild with joy. They were going for it outside the Wailing Wall as we know it. And when I'd been to the morning and seen, and I just cried my way through the Holocaust Museum, you have some understanding why they celebrate with such abandonment in the evening. When they've been such, in such awful situations to, to celebrate their freedom and their God. And they went for it, which is what we're going to do a little bit of today. Some congregations in the synagogues, when it comes to talking about Mordecai, they shout out, shout out long live Mordecai, and curse be Haman, and blessed be Esther. May the name of the wicked rot, is one of the things they shout. One rabbi, and this isn't in the Bible, so we don't encourage this, but one rabbi wrote this in the Talmud. He said, a man is obligated to drink enough wine on Purim that he cannot distinguish, blessed be Mordecai, from cursed be Haman. That's not a command in the Bible, but they want it to be such celebration. So I'm going to do a recap of where we've come to, and we're going to do it like they do in a children's play, because in a children's play, they, they, I've made these up myself, what they tend to do when Haman is mentioned, they boo and they hiss, and actually they boo and they hiss, and they stamp their feet. So I'm going to introduce you to some actions. Who wants to be the... Uh, thanks, Pete. Oh, sorry, nearly killed him. When I mention these guys here, I'm going to ask them, as I read out my recap, that they will step forward and you will do these things. The first one is Xerxes. Xerxes was the king, and we pity him for his lack of character. So when Xerxes stands forward, I want you all to go, ah, a kind of condescending, ah, come on. Ah, so that's when Xerxes stand forward. When Vashti, who's the queen who we don't hear a lot of after the beginning, she's a good woman. She doesn't come out when he says she should. And I want us to have a kind of muted cheer. So just go, yay. Can we practice that? Just stand forward, Queen Vashti. Yay. Wonderful. There we go. Then when he gets to Mordecai, Mordecai was a good man. So when he gets to Mordecai, I want us to go like this. Good man. <laughs> Ready? Yeah. Oh, come on, guys. You've got to do better than that. Well, you'll get better as we go on. And then when it comes to Haman, wow, this is real pantomime season now. We're going to boo and we're going to hiss and we're going to stamp our feet. Ready? Haman. <laughs> there we go. And then we get to the hero or heroine. Get to Queen Esther. When she stands forward, we're all going to cheer. You ready? Queen Esther. Yeah. yeah. And so we have it. Right, I'm going to read a recap, and you've got to go for it with much more gusto than that as I read out my recap, and they stand forward when I mention them. You ready? King Xerxes was a foolish king who was led by his emotions. King Xerxes... Spent time impressing people and pursuing pleasure. He was a party animal, always throwing banquets with a lot of drinking. Because, because his wife, Queen Vashti, wouldn't come out before him, he decided to banish her from his presence. And so, Queen Vashti is heard of no more. King Xerxes consulted with some young men and on their advice decided to have a beauty pageant consisting of one woman from each province. 127 women and the one King Xerxes 
Come on, you need to engage better than this. The one King Xerxes liked the best became his wife. The girl chosen was Queen Esther. She was beautiful and a Jew, but she kept her Jewishness under wraps on the advice of her cousin, Mordecai. Good man. Mordecai had raised Esther as his own daughter, and she had been orphaned. Mordecai was a a good man. Once he heard about a plot to kill King Xerxes, and through Esther, got the message to King Xerxes, which saved his life. King Xerxes had an assistant named Haman. (laughs) Haman was an evil man. Haman came up with a plot to kill all the Jews. Everyone had to bow down to Haman. Haman wanted fame and power and success. But Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman. More than that, Mordecai influenced Queen Esther to go before the king to seek to get the king's... I didn't... To seek to get the king to overrule the decision to exterminate the Jews. He told her that maybe she should have been, because she was called to the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther decided that though even she hadn't been summoned, she was going to be brave, and she, even if she perished, she perished. Which brings us to chapter 5, where Esther comes before King Xerxes. Thank God for Esther. And thank God for the drama team. There we go. Please take your seats. Now, let's just be clear. From here on in, no more participation in that manner is required, okay? (laughs) I know you're disappointed, but there we go. Here's what happens. The rest of my message is about chapters 5, 6, and 7. That brought us up to date. Esther... (laughs) is brave and comes before the king. We've said this over the last few weeks, and if you don't know, it was an offense punishable by death for the queen to come into the king's presence without him having summoned her. So this is risky business. She has to be brave. This is an offense that could kill her. He could lift up the scepter and say, death to the to Esther, or he could say, come into my presence. And she hasn't been in his presence for a good 30 days. There's a phrase that certainly was used in the church I was growing up in, and it's often used in churches, that goes like this. The will of God is the safest place to be. Is it? Is it really? Esther was in the will of God. Was it safe? In a few weeks' time, we've got Eddie Lyle here. He's at the men's breakfast on the Saturday and on the Sundays with us all day. Bring anyone you can. Eddie Lyle is the president of Open Doors. Open Doors is an organization that helps persecuted Christians across the world. And he'll no doubt tell us some stories of persecuted Christians in Syria and Iraq and in other places where religion is, the Christian religion is not encouraged or even banned. You try telling those persecuted Christians in Iraq or Syria or other places, it's safe to be in the will of God. Is it really? Is it really? 
God's will does not always mean safety. Mordecai protested against the edict to kill all the Jews. And the way he protested was to sit outside the king's palace with sackcloth and ashes. That wasn't safe. That was like camping out on the White House lawn with a banner. That was like standing outside number 10 with placards. He's risking his life doing that. This wasn't risky. But was it the will of God that he should stand against the extermination of the Jews? Of course it was. I like what John Orberg says when he says this. There is no great way to be safe. There is no safe way to be great. I don't think we are called to play it safe, guys. Did you hear me? If we perish, let's use it singular, Esther's words. If I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. To follow God's mission for our lives isn't safe. However, this is what I love about this Queen Esther. It is not just her bravery that becomes apparent. It's her wisdom. She's so wise in the way she handles the king. She's a wise queen. She knows what rings his bells. And she rings them in order to get his favor. So it's not just Queen Esther's bravery, but it's her wisdom. But I just want to say this. Wisdom can never be used as an excuse for not being brave. I've heard it. I've said it sometimes. Especially when you get a little bit older and you say, oh, is that wise? And you use it as an excuse for not being brave. We can't use wisdom as an excuse for not being brave. But bravery should be coupled with wisdom. And I want to just read some things out or identify some things from these passages where Queen Esther is wise in her bravery. And that's why I've entitled this Wisdom for the Brave. We must be brave, but let's be wise in our bravery. And then I'm going to give out some challenges to us today here at C3. And by the way, thus far, you are my favorite congregation today. So I know you're all going to go for this when I share some brave steps. Number one. Before she went to the king, she went before the king of kings. At the end of chapter 4, which we didn't read, but we read last week as it leads us into chapter 5, we find that Esther, it says, fasts for three days. It doesn't mention the word prayer, but everybody knows that when fasting is mentioned in the Bible, it's always coupled with prayer. This was before they had the blood sugar diet and before they understood the power of fasting for health benefits. This is where they coupled prayer with fasting. And what she does is she gets her attendants, her harem, those that were around her, and she says, we're going to fast for three days. And then she gets Mordecai and she says, before I go before the king, I want you to fast for three days. I've said this to you before. I want you to know it and read it. Check it out. Check it out again with other scholars. The name God is never once mentioned in the book of Esther. But tell me, who do you think softens the king's heart so that when he sees these 127 women, all beautiful, by the way, 
it's reckoned that the population of Persia was probably about 50 million people. Let's say that there was 25 million women. Let's go 50-50. 25 million women. They chose 127. Josephus, the historian, says it was 400. But according to the scriptures, they took one from each province. Chapter 1, verse 1 tells us there was 127 provinces. So from 50 million or 25 million, gets it down to 127. And he chooses one woman. They were all beautiful. Who caused the heart of the king to be stirred to say, she's the one I want for my wife? Who do you think? God. <laughs> it's not a trick question. God. And all the way through, you don't hear the name of God. She prays. She fasts. We don't hear prayer, but she's praying to the God of heaven. I put some scriptures in your notes here. Check them out when you go home. There's another uh, king of Persia who's named in the Bible as a servant of God, Cyrus. Cyrus was a very powerful king. He ruled in Persia 559 and conquered Babylon in 539 BC. And yet this is what Isaiah prophesies of him. Listen to this. He, speaking of Cyrus, is my shepherd and he shall fulfill all my purpose. Time out, guys. This is a pagan king and God says he's my servant. And he says, saying, he shall, Jerusalem shall be built and the temple, your foundation, shall be laid. In chapter 45 of Isaiah, he writes, Thus says the Lord to his anointed. Hello? Anointed? Anointed is a word that's used for Israel's rulers. And he says, this is, the Lord says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped. The right hand is the hand of rule. And it says, God's got hold of Cyrus' hand to subdue nations before him and to loose his belts. And he says right at the end of this, uh, verse 4 of Isaiah 50, 45, I call you by name, I name you, though you do not know me. A non-Israelite king is called God's anointed, although Cyrus is a pagan god, uh, a pagan who worships other gods, God will use him. For his purposes. Listen, there may be lots of different people who come to power, but there is one who's always in power, and we don't have to vote him in. We don't have to say, oh yes, let's him rule. There is one who rules even over, dare I say it, the United States of America. And it's not the laws of others that last forever. It's not the laws of the Medes and the Persians that last forever. It's the law of our God. And God is in control. Did I hear a hooray? Whoever comes to power in the nations, there is one that's over them all. And he will use even ungodly kings to work out his plan and purpose. Oh, thank God. We believe this as Christians, don't we? We believe God is in control, don't we? That's why we pray. Because we're coming to a higher authority. We believe there's a God in heaven who hears and answers prayers. Even over nations. Here's a question and here's a challenge. This is how wise she was. She needs favor from a king. But she comes before the king of kings first in prayer and fasting. Question, you don't have to raise your hands or anything like this. How many of you here have fasted for maybe three days? 
Three days without food, that means. Drinking, we recommend drinking. When was the last time I did this? To pray to the God of heaven for something that is beyond our powers and beyond our ability. When was the last time you did that? Wow. This is your day of opportunity. Because we've been talking as a team, and this is the first time it's been announced. We thought, what should we do on New Year's Day? Because it's a Sunday. We're going to meet on Christmas Day in the morning, celebrate just one service. What should we do on New Year's Day? And we had two services planned. We'd do one at 11.30, one at 5.30. But we changed it this week. And this is what we're going to do. At 5.30, we're going to have just one celebration on New Year's Day. Just one. We're going to have quite a few of the chairs in, but not all chairs. Because we want everyone to come out on 5.30 on New Year's Day after you've had lots of feasting, for days on end. And we're going to come together. And guess what we're going to do? Pray. And that's going to kick off three days. You ready for a cheer? Three days of fasting. Because you'll be so fed up of food by then. Come on. Then we're going to fast, Billy. <laughs> for three days. From Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and then we're going to come out again on Wednesday, anyone that can, 7.30 here, and we'll have another prayer meeting. Then after that prayer meeting, which will last an hour and a quarter, an hour and a half max, you can go and feast, whatever you like. You can go to the slap-up cafe opposite, oh, shut, sorry. You find somewhere else. And we're going to come and we're going to pray. We're going to beseech the God of heaven. For an hour and a quarter, there'll be kids' church on on that Friday evening. And we're going to come and we're going to pray for an hour and a quarter, it'll be worship. I think we should break bread as well, take communion. And we'll, how about that? We don't get this opportunity very, very often on Sunday. It's good news, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I can see I've got at least seven of you that are thrilled by this. And we'll just take three days. Pray for the nation, the nations, your family. For stuff, and I mean pray for big stuff. I don't know all, but stuff that we can't do in our power. Favor before God. I wonder what she prayed in those days. I don't know. Well, maybe she remembered the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Maybe she remembered what he'd done before. We'll do the same. So note that date, January the 1st. 5.30, one service only. Secondly, this. Not only did she pray to the God of heaven, to the King of kings, she listened to Mordecai. Mordecai said to her, Esther... This is what you are called to do. If you don't do it, God will find a way to do it. God may have other means, but who knows? I love the way he says, who knows? But maybe, Esther, you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And guess what? She listened to Mordecai, her cousin. Here's my question, and here's my challenge to you. Who is your Mordecai? Who do you have, and it might be more than one person, who do you have that you listen to that doesn't just tell you be wise, but be wise and brave? Who do you have in your life that calls that calling out of you? See, Esther was called to this. This was her moment. This was her day. And it's like Mordecai speaks into her very belly and being, her soul, and he says, come on, 
Come on, I call it out of you. You called, Esther. This is your moment. This is your day. Come on, Esther. And she responds and she listens. Who's your Mordecai? I was interviewed this week by a guy who's on a sabbatical here from the States. And I had a beautiful, beautiful time with him. We sensed God's presence with us. Trey, his name was. And he, did, he recorded a message that he's going to put out on a podcast about being in leadership, ministry like this. We're all in ministry, but this kind of ministry. And he said, when did you feel the call to lead in a church? And that's easy. I was a very young child, seven, eight years of age. Didn't know what else to do. Did something else in between. But I was called very early on. But after he went, I got thinking and I thought, well, it wasn't, I wouldn't be doing this now if it wasn't for some Mordecais who came around me and called some stuff out of me. Angie and I got married in 1985, and we decided one day we would go to Bible school. 20th of July, 1985. A few months later, Angie was doing her final year, doing her B.Ed., Bachelor of Education. I was in, working for a company called Unilever. I've got to be honest with you. I know times have changed. I was in the, the, easy, I was in the design office. So I was a design engineer. It was the easiest job ever. I mean, design engineers... And drawings, electrical, it was just straight lines. It was, it was easy. I loved it. It was flexible hours. I could go in late. I could go home early. I, I was basically my own boss. They put me on a fast track. I was the youngest assistant manager in the, in the company. Uh, they, put me, they were paying for my education. I could study in work time. It was just a doddle. I, I, I'm being honest with you. They loved me. I had favor. Every, it, was just, I, it was God. I just had favor. And then we got married, we're in this church, leading the youth, leading worship, all these kind of things. And a guy came on, on a training, ministry training with us, on a three-month sabbatical. That's three-month training, ministry, a guy called Ian Russell. And I got to know Ian. We played squash together. I beat him regularly, so I enjoyed playing squash with him. We went out for meals we got food poisoning together. I remember where we had food poisoning from a chili con carne. We really immersed our world. We became a really close friend. And one day, I was sitting with him over lunch, and I said to Ian, I said, Ian, one day, Angie and I are going to go to the same college you're at. One day. And I remember it as clear as day. He said, why one day and not today? And I said, you're joking, aren't you? We just bought a house. Angie's finishing a study. I'm being paid to complete my study. I've got this easy job. I'm working in the church anyway, doing all that. You're kidding me. The more I argued, the more I was arguing against myself. This was in the October, November time. We went home, said to Angie, Ian Russell spoke to us and said, not one day, why not two days? So we put it in our application there and then. We met the principal of, a college, of the college at Ian's wedding the next March before we'd even had our interview, sitting next to the principal, and he said to us, really looking forward to having you here in September. So we knew we were going. We went. One year later, we was, we'd started. I wouldn't have gone. I would have maybe just, we wanted to wait longer, get a bit more money in the bank, get a bit more of the mortgage, all this kind of thing. We wouldn't have gone. But a Mordecai called Ian Russell said, don't wait. Today. So the application went in. We went back to that church to lead it, actually as an assistant pastor and then as the pastor. And we bought a building. I like building programs. We bought a school. The school in Birkenhead. 
which is a little bit different than Cambridge, cost us £36,000 for two and a half acres. This was in the 1980s. And we, we did some work on it. We moved in. I remember doing I did all the electrics on it. We were there at night and all kinds. But I didn't like the main auditorium. So we decided, I said to the guys, I want to change this auditorium. It's long and thin. And it's like a T-shape. And when you're preaching, it's like this. And so it's all about the preaching, isn't it? So I said, can't we change it? There was a corridor over here and another room. Oh, they said, you know, can't do that. Well, you can. I found an architect that could. And he, he said, yeah, you can do that. It's going to cost you 500,000 pounds, but it would give us a, a room, 500 people, a bit like this. Uh, so, so we did it. We raised 500,000 pounds, which is a lot of money going back to the 19, late 1980s, early 90s. And the church was quite a poor church, but we did it exactly to the figure. And we built it. And, I, and I, we did a launch weekend. We got Frank Field, the MP in. I remember him writing a check for some money for the building program. We had a, an education center there. We had a job club. We, we had all kinds of, with a nursery, all kinds going on. It's popping. We did this launch day where we had a, a band called Phil and John or a duet called Phil and John. They came in and sang. And then we had a preacher called Bryn Jones. He came in. Then we went for lunch with Bryn Jones. Bryn Jones sat us down. He said, I love this church. He said, have you ever thought of moving? This is our open day. Our open day. Have you ever thought of moving? You know what he was? A Mordecai. He was our Mordecai. Because we said to him, not now, Bryn, not now. <laughs> Surely not now. We just opened. Six months later, we went back to him on the phone. I remember ringing him. And he said, I'd like you to pray about two places, Leeds or Cambridge. Because he said, you need to be in a university city. And I remember going home saying to him, I just spoke to Bryn. He said, let's go and look at Cambridge. Never mentioned Leeds because we lived in Yorkshire and didn't want to go back. And it, Cambridge was further away from Angie's mum, and that's what we wanted. So, so, ooh, God bless her. I'm just telling the truth. Come on. So we, we, we came here. I knew that I, and here we are 23 years later. 23 years later. But we wouldn't have been here without a Mordecai called Bryn Jones who said, you need to move. You need to move, and you need to move to Cambridge or Leeds. And, and we forgot the Leeds. I did tell Angie about it, by the way, today. So she knows now. <laughs> who's your Mordecai? Who's the one who's brave and has wisdom that's calling it out of you? And I just say to some of you, those of you, and I'm not going to mention every sphere, but I feel to mention these, those of you in education, you may not like the system. You may not, you may, it may not be your fault of the way it's come to. It doesn't matter whether it's your fault, it's your time. You're, you're, you're Esther in your place. I speak it into you. I'm your Mordecai. Stand up, be brave. Those of you in the NHS, I've spoken to lots of people in the NHS in all different areas and parts of the NHS. I get the same message from so many of them and it's usually that the culture stinks. I'm sorry. Well, whether it stinks or not, I know it's not your fault. I know you didn't create that culture, but you're there for such a time as this. You're the Esther in that place. I spoke to a banker after the service today, and he said to me, you so spoke into my life. We need bankers, those that are men of integrity and women of integrity, who stand for righteousness and who follow Jesus in that place. On Friday night, we have loads of youth come in here. Can I just call this out to you? Those of you that work in the youth, I came for the first time Friday night. God bless you for the work that you do. 
God bless you. You do an amazing job. Can I say to the rest of us, some of us just need to come and do crowd control. Let them do what they're good at. And the rest of us, let's just smile at them or be a human chain. We need volunteers just to be here because there's lots of them coming. But boy, is it hard. I know that they shouldn't speak to adults in the way they do. I know that society's in a mess, and it is. I know that they shouldn't act like they do, and it's not your fault, but it could be your time. It could be your time as an Esther to stand in there and to be a mum and a dad to them or to be an arm around them or to be available to them at some point. We need them. And I could go in all kinds of different areas because we do believe calling is across all areas of life. But you need to know, be brave, stand up. It may not be your fault, but it's your time. Come on. I call it out to you. In your industry, in your workplace. In the home. Be an Esther in the home. You might not always be liked in telling your children what to do or not to do. Be an Esther. Be bold. Be bold. And here's what happens. This is my last point. Esther played her part and God played his. I love this quote from this guy. I read it in a devotion this week. God does everything and we do something. So you can go the wrong way and you can say God does everything and we do nothing. Well, that's not true because the Bible says the Lord builds the house. But if you just leave it at the Lord builds the house and don't read the next part, this is Psalm 127. It says the Lord builds the house. And if we don't know that, builders labor in vain. In other words, the Lord uses builders to build. It says the Lord watches over the way of the righteous or the way of the city as watchmen. But it's the watchman on the walls that he needs. So we have a part to play. So it's not that God does everything and we do nothing. It's not that God does nothing and we do everything. That's heresy. And that's effectively atheism, where we can do it all without God. But I love the way he says it. God does everything. But we do something. We do something. See, what happens here? This is how wise she is. She comes before the king, and the king says, what do you want? I'll give you everything you want, up to half the kingdom. What do you want? I'd have been tempted at that point, wouldn't you? Half the kingdom? A businessman, very rich businessman, took me into some facilities that he had. He grabbed me by the lapels, because he wanted me to move from Cambridge and lead his church. And he said, see all this? Because I'd refused some offers from him. He said to me, all this could have been yours, my boy. And I felt, oh. No, thank you. It doesn't matter whether you get half the kingdom. If it's not the will of God, so what? And Esther doesn't say, yeah, I'll have half the kingdom. No, no, no. She says, I had a banquet. She's clever, isn't she? This is the banqueting king, king. You know, this is the, the one who loves banquets. Six months banquets. Put on a banquet for him. He said, she just says to him, eh, I'd like to have another banquet, and I'd like you and Haman to come. Boo. And Haman's absolutely chuffed, so he goes home and he says to his wife, guess who's been invited to Queen Esther's banquet? Just two of us, very selective, just the two, me and the king. Wow, she says. And he says, the only problem is, as I was coming out, Mordecai, the Jew, he wouldn't bow down to me. All that he had, but one man wouldn't bow down. And his wife, how, how nice is this for a wife? Why, she says to him, here's a suggestion. Why don't you build a pole and why don't you stick Mordecai on it and kill him in front of everyone to show that he should have bowed down to you? And Haman says, good idea, my dear. 
So he's thinking, I'm going to go and tell the king. That's one scene. Other scene, the king, Xerxes, he can't sleep. Guess who kept him awake? Who do you think kept him awake? God. God gave him insomnia. He couldn't read. So he goes to his, his men and he says, guys, read to me the stories about myself. That's the kind of king he is. Go on, read me stories about how good a king I've been. And so they read stories to him. And the story they read about is where Mordecai hears at the gate, where was the Persian intelligence service? The PIS, careful how you say that. Where were they? But Mordecai heard it. And he heard there was a plot to kill the king. So through Esther, he got the message. And the king's life was saved. And this is all recorded. And so the king says, where's Mordecai? Was he rewarded? No, no, he wasn't rewarded. So the king said, how can we reward him? What can we do? Just at that moment, Haman walks in. And Haman's come in, and he's been talking to his wife. And he's just about to say to the king, what we want to do is build a pole, and we want to stick Mordecai on it and kill him. And so before he can speak, before Haman can speak to, speak to the king, the king says, Haman, what would you do for a man who's been loyal and trustworthy? And you can feel it in the story. Haman's going, yeah, go on. What would you do, Haman, for a man that's been helpful and kind and general? What should I do? And Haman thinks, what would I like? Oh, I'd like to be paraded on a horse. And I'd like to have gowns that were once the king. And I would like for someone to shout in front of me, honor, honor, honor to this man, honor to this man. And Haman says, that's what I think would be good for the man you want to honor. And the king says, great idea, Haman. Let's do it for Mordecai the Jew. <laughs> and Haman goes out and he gets the horse that was once the king's and he puts on royal robes and he walks in front shouting, honor, honor, honor to this man. He saved the king. Honor, honor. Then he goes home and his wife says, Oh, poor you, Haman. If they're against you, you've got no chance. No chance. At least you've got the banquet to look forward to. Goes in with the banquet. There they are, just Haman and Mordecai. Uh, just Haman and the king, rather. Xerxes. With Esther. And Esther says to him, I've got a request. And the king says, Anything. Half the kingdom. Yours. Anything. And he, she says, just one thing. There's an evil man who's conspired against me and my people. And he has plotted to kill us all. And he says, who is it? And you can hear the vitriol in it. It's a beautiful phrase. She says, the, and I'm going to spit all over you. Ready? Sorry, love. The vile Haman. The vile Haman. <laughs> I can feel it. Can't you feel it? Don't you read the Bible like this? The vile Haman. And the king's outraged. And he goes outside to get some fresh air. He thinks, Haman, right under my nose. And then he goes back in. And Haman, at this point, is on the bed with the queen asking for mercy. And, and the king thinks that he's accosting his wife. And he says, you evil man. And he turns to his assistant and says, what should I do for Haman? And, he, and the assistant says, stick him on the pole that was meant for Mordecai. <laughs> oh, you couldn't write a script like this. And guess what? Haman ends up on the pole. Musicians, will you come back? Who do you think orchestrated all of that? 
Let's pray and fast. Let's play our part. And let's trust God to do the part that only he can do. Who's your Mordecai? Who's speaking into your ear? I'm your Mordecai right now. And I'm calling it out of you. What's your name, sir? Yeah. Andrew. Calling it out of you. Destiny and purpose. Andrew. Calling it out of you for such a time. I don't know who it's with. Whether it's children or grandchildren, but you're there to be a wise Mordecai. You young girls that were here serving yesterday, what we've done to you? The Bible says this, blessed are the pure in heart. Just stay pure. I'm calling it out of you. You've got a beautiful spirit about you. And Fincy was with you as well. Come on, stay in the house of God. Keep worshiping. Be part of generation to be an, an influence for the blessing. I want to be your Mordecai. Come on, there's destiny in you. When everything else is going crappy around you, you just stand. Stand. Come on, come on. Call it out of you. In your workplace, in your school, in the NHS, in the banking world, in the business world. Wherever you are.